Welcome to The Bright Spot, The Bright Spot's edition. I created this spinoff of Finn and my podcast to highlight humans who I believe are bright spots, meaning they are doing something that inspires me, and I hope it will have a similar effect on you, our listeners. This spinoff focuses on bright spot stories, what they believe families are struggling with, and of course, practical tools to address those struggles. So I hope you are able to relate, take what you need, and at the very least, find a bright spot in your day. My guest on this episode of The Bright Spot is someone I relate to because we both come from large families with an immigrant parent, Franny Foltz. Franny was born and raised in Pennsylvania to a blended family where her Nana was the matriarch. She suspects that her future husband got lost and refuses to ask for directions. So if you are him, please listen closely to the end of this podcast on ways to contact her. Franny is a podcaster and entrepreneur whose mission is helping women become healthier, stronger, and more confident using God's word so they can live fully, freely, and fearlessly. During this episode, she shares a heartbreaking story that emphasizes the impact words can have on children. She believes individuals struggle with figuring out their identity and encourages parents to allow their children to form strong bonds with other adults and for them to realize their worth even when they think they are less than. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Bright Spots podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have uh, Franny. She is the host of the podcast Shine with Franny. I met first met Franny back in November of 2020 when I was at uh, the Dave Ramsey influencer event and she was actually one of the other influencers. And I remember her because we were sitting in the reception area on that like that first night and I was talking talking to one of the the guys that I was kind of talked to the majority of the night because that's just kind of what I do um, because I'm an introvert. Yes, that shocks lots of people that I'm an <laughs> introvert, um, but I am. And like once I find someone that I kind of click with, I stay with them. And I remember Franny was sitting in front of me and uh, one of the other influencers, Katie, who I think Franny, you're close with Katie now, yes. aren't you? Yes, um, Like she felt like Katie or yeah, Katie had heard that I was a clinical child psychologist and Katie turns and like true Katie fashion and she turns and she goes I have four children she's like tell me what's wrong with my children and I was like oh my god and then Freddie looks and says something about and I like misunderstood her and I thought she said like I'm 76 and I was like damn girl like you look really good for 76 years old and I just realized like I completely misunderstood here so thank you Franny for coming on to the Bright Spot podcast I'm excited to have you I'm so excited to be here and that's so funny because I don't have any recollection. I mean, I remember meeting you the initial moment, but I don't remember that conversation at all. So I can only imagine what the 76 reference was. I mean, it's like certainly not my weight. Maybe it's my goal weight. No, just kidding. (laughs) Could it be the year that you were like born? Oh yeah, 75. I may have said something about like I was a 75er or something. So yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe that was it. Cause I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, I hope, I think I even told you, I was like, I think I, I, I hope like I look as good as you do when I'm 75. You know what, girl, I'm just going to give you an aside to that. Like I actually was at the gym. This is a total off course, but maybe somebody will find humor in this, but I was at the gym last week and I, I'm back in my hometown right now for a family visit. And so I remember there was a boy, there was a boy that came up to me and he, we started talking and it was really sweet and really cute. And I'm very gainfully single. Any listeners out there? And I was like laughing because he's like talking. He's like, we should totally hang out sometime. And then he told me his name and I was like, 
I babysat you. And <gasps> I just started dying. Yes. So oh, my goodness. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, obviously, I look a lot different. He's like, damn, girl, you look good. And I was like, <laughs> I probably am five years younger than your mother and 20 years older than you. <laughs> so anyways, an aside, hopefully that made your audience laugh. Oh, my goodness. You could always be a cougar. Like, cougars are in right now, Franny. Hey, girl. I know that's right. So if any of your listeners actually look at me online, you might be either laughing at that because you might be like, uh, she does not look like, you know, one way or another, good or bad. So 75, definitely, I will not uh, own that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Franny, how we want to get started is, can you tell the audience a little bit about your story? Sure. So, you know, we all have a story and that's what I think is so remarkable about, you know, life is that we get to uh, have an opportunity to share with each other, you know, our stories and our backgrounds. And I like to always believe too, that you don't judge another person until you've walked a mile in their moccasins and you will never fully walk, you know, in someone else's moccasins. But, you know, my story is very, you know, convoluted from the time that I was young. I was actually born into, you know, it says in scripture, David says I was born into sin. And sadly enough, I was born into sin. And um, my family, my mother, my father had a really volatile relationship um, and my mom actually came in lying telling my dad that she was on the pill my dad didn't want children and uh, I grew up then obviously in a very toxic environment because my dad you know just really from the young age told me I didn't want you I wanted your mom to abort you you're not even mine like telling me these kind of horrific things that you would hopefully never say to anyone let alone your own child that's horrible it was a tough life you know and uh, there was a lot of physical abuse as a result of that because I was really not wanted and so um, by the time I was five, my mom had had enough. And obviously the physical abuse was not just, you know, exclusive to me. Um, my mother was definitely, you know, one of the major, you know, bearers of that. And so finally at five years old, it was enough. I had an older brother um, and he was, I, I don't want to say air quote okay, but because he was a male, it was a little bit different. You know, he was able to go hunting and fishing and do all the air quote manly things. But here I was, you know, this, this little girl. And so um, by the time I was five, my parents got divorced, but I had already at that point not only been emotionally abused and physically abused by my father, but then sexually abused by an uncle. So here I am now five years old and my way of dealing with this, you know, I come from a very large Italian family. And so the way that you you dealt with any kind of problem, whether, you know, good or bad, you know, it could be a funeral or a wedding, you just eat. And so I started using food at a very young age as a coping mechanism. Food became my friend. It became my own specific control vice because I could determine how much I ate, where I ate it. And, you know, just really just my connection with food was a control. It was my way of, you know, taking control of the things that I couldn't outside of my life. And so, you know, again, very big Italian family. My mother, I'm first generation Italian. My mother came from Italy. And so, you know, just some cultural differences as well in terms of being a woman and Um, You know, she never held me back from doing things, but it was certainly just a challenge, you know. And so fast forward, I continue to use food as a mechanism. And then um, 21 years old, I was the heaviest I had been. And my doctor said to me, you know, I was going to get my student teaching. I was near 300 pounds at the time. And he said, you know, you've got to do something. He knew my family history and said, you know, you really have to do something about this. I had an aunt who was my mother's sister who was quite large. Um, unfortunately she passed several years ago, um, because of morbid obesity over 800 pounds. And I saw the track record of like, oh my gosh, like that was, you know, no pun intended, but the elephant in the room of what I would look like in the trajectory that I was on. So I was on Fen Fen, but I had already been on Nutrisystem and Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and, you know, Meals on Wheels. Actually, we had food delivered from the hospital and, you know, all the ways that my family was trying to get me to lose weight because it was unhealthy. You know, I was really the heaviest one, even heavier than my mom. 
So at 21, though, you know, I started FenFen, which I don't know if any of your listeners know, it was literally killing people. It was a, um, it was speed. And first of all, I'm talking very quickly. I just tend to talk very quickly. I get excited and passionate about things. Um, but my personality is also a full throttle personality. Thankfully, I never really do- dove into drugs, but I definitely, you know, played around, if you will, and kind of advanced my eating disorder with, you know, promiscuity and then even good things, Andrea. Um, after I was 21, I went to uh, a gym. I moved to Florida after I graduated from college. The day I graduated, my stepfather died, who was pretty much the, the only father I knew. And he died that past, that actual night, passed away. So fast forward, I go to Florida and the trainer at the gym says to me, well, you know, what are your goals? And I was like, dear God, to never come back here. Like, this is miserable. And he leaned across the desk at me, you know, his big bulging biceps. And he said, okay, so if you gain one pound every month for the next five years, you're going to be closer to 400 than you are to 300. And I looked at him and I was like, but if I lose a pound every month? And he was like, exactly. So girl, I don't know about you, but I can like look at ho-hos and gain a pound. (laughs) Like I don't even have to eat them. So that was a turning point for me. And so I say all that because I mentioned a few seconds ago that even my good things like exercise um, became vices for me to try to fill up and fill that void in my control mechanisms. And then it advanced into religion when I actually, you know, became a believer. Um, So some of the good things, you know, even became bad things and idols for me. So I was constantly seeking and striving to fill that void that really my, you know, was established at my birth, if you will, and before my birth. When my father said he didn't want me, I was looking for ways of finding love and acceptance and, you know, just really to be, to be loved. You know, I, we all fear rejection. And so I wanted that loved and which we know that all children need, right. To feel loved and accepted. And so I never felt that. So I looked for external ways of finding it. So. And, and do you feel now, Franny, that, that you are wanted like by who, like who gives you that sense of that you're like, that you're wanted because you are wanted. Absolutely. And so thankfully, you know, I mentioned that uh, when I was 26, I was actually engaged and um, he had only known me thin, air quote. For those of you who are listening, you know, I'm not, you know, skinny mini by any means, but I went from 300 pounds and um, I lost um, about 125. That was pre-COVID, y'all. Okay. So I lost about 125 pounds and have maintained that. But I really started in a relationship with the Lord when I kind of hit that plateau, if you will, and it was about 70 pounds in, and I was like, okay, now what? Like, how do I do this, and how do I sustain this? And God was like, you have to lay it down. You have to lay it down. Like, this is not about you and a pill or a powder or a program or you eating more, moving less, and you're, excuse me, eating less and moving more. Um, and it was about God. It was about surrendering. And so even though I lost physical weight, it was really the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, you know, all the, all the things that I carried in the form of physical weight on my body. Um, through the emotional side of things. But it was really when I just laid it all down, I was like, God, I can't do this on my own. You know, for for so long, I tried to be, you know, I lived with an orphan spirit and I tried to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders and I can do this and no one will ever tell me I'm not good enough. And so my acceptance came from recognizing that I'm a daughter of God's, you know, and that I'm one of his children and that I'm a co-heir with Christ. And so for me, it's very much a faith component, um, which is not only one, allowed me to surrender, but then also to allow me to maintain and now most importantly, help others, you know, to be able to come alongside of them and say, you know what, me too. And so that's so interesting. And one of the biggest things about this podcast is that we want to provide people with practical tools for everyday problems. And so I heard you say that like you laid it down from like a practical standpoint for the listeners. Like, what does that mean to like lay it down for God? Does that make sense? 
It does. It does. And I think it's one of the, you know, end old questions, right? There's, you know, there's millions of podcasts and self-help, you know, guidebooks to try to figure out, like, how do you surrender? What does surrender really look like? And for me, sweet girl, like, honestly, it was just humility. It was taking away the pride of saying that I can do it and I can do this by myself and I'm going to find the next pill or the next powder or the next program. Like I was always looking for the shiny objects, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To be able to fill that void and to be able to find the next thing that was going to be able to provide that. And really when, when I was able to surrender, I was like, I can't do this on my own. Like it was from a level of humility and really just a recognition of who I am and God. Like once I started realizing like that I wasn't this, you know, rejected orphan, if you will, that I was accepted and I was chosen, that I was like, oh, like that's my, that's my identity and that's who I am. And like, so I was able to say like, okay, this is yours, God. Like, okay, this is all you. Okay. I don't have to do this on my own. Like I started recognizing that it was no longer just carrying the weight on my shoulders, but like that God had it. He was the provider. He was the deliverer. He was the redeemer, not me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. for sharing that story. That's, yeah. that's a powerful story. Well, I hope it helps the listener, you know, or, or their family or somebody in their family for sure. And so the next question that I have for you is what are some issues, struggles, and challenges that you see families that you work with or families that you interact with kind of experiencing now? Sure. So for many years, I was a teacher, actually. From 1997 until 2010, I was in the classroom, and then I became an administrator. Um, so, but I think that, you know, from even from then until now, even though I'm not in the classroom, I'm still very much, you know, I have a lot of friends and nieces and nephews and, you know, friends with kids and whatnot. I think the number one thing, honestly, Andrea, is this identity crisis. You know, I feel like people don't know who they are, and they turn to external vices. And especially now with social media, it's easy to go ahead and, you know, slide, you know, swipe your phone. I said slide, you know, swipe right or swipe left and, you know, get the confirmation or validation or at least what we think, right? It's really that dopamine hit, that digital crack cocaine, they call it, that you're seeking validation from. And it's because we don't know who we are. We don't have that strong, you know, foundation of knowing that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are accepted. And so then therefore we look to external, you know, sources and resources, if you will, to seek that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've been working and it's so funny that you said it because two, at least two of my clients today, I had conversations with them about like, you know, normative developmental identity crisis. So I was working with a, a young male and he was like, I don't know who I like, I don't know who I am. And I was just like, what you're experiencing? Because he was like telling me he's like this 19 to like 22 year range is just he's like, I feel so like uncomfortable and unsteady. And I'm always questioning like who I am. And I'm like, that's emerging adulthood. Like, you're probably gonna experience that for another three years. And he just kind of like looked at me and was like, (laughs) Oh, Oh goodness gracious! Like, please don't give me that death sentence. You know, <laughs> right? I don't want to deal with this for another three years. Yeah. But then I like looked at him and I was like, "You can either see it as an opportunity that you are able to find out, like, and figure out like who you are over the ne- course of the next three years and try out all these things and have all these great experiences, or you can view it as like that death sentence. Right. And then it's just gonna like weigh on you. And then the other client I was working with, a teenage girl, um, and she was like telling me that 
like she hates everything about herself, like everything about her personality. And then I tried to like get more specifics. And then she was like, well, I don't have my own personality. I just mock what everyone else does. And I'm like, Mm. welcome to the club. Like that's what every teenager is doing. Like no one has their own personality because y'all still haven't figured out like who you are and like, that's okay. And then her, her mom and I were like trying to tell her that to like make her feel better. And she's like, thanks, that doesn't help. And we're like, okay. We're just going to let you be a a teenager right now and have some animosity towards your your therapist, your clinical psychologist and your mom. Um, But absolutely. And like just going towards like that social media and like relying on social media to, you know, the number of likes and who comments and getting wrapped up in that game that doesn't seem to work for anybody. Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that in terms of that, like the second client, it sounds like she was a female, you know, a girl, um, you know, I have nieces, I've got three nieces and the oldest one is 10. And, you know, they say that, and I'm sure you know this, but they say that um, there's huge amounts of research on this, but having five additional trusted adults in your child's circle is really, really beneficial to them, obviously, you know, especially if they're people of faith, but, you know, just having connections to those people helps them, you know, lessen the chance of drugs higher chance of finishing school, you know, high school, college, things like that. And so there's this huge component and proponent for community. And one of the things that I always ask my niece, she's an ultimate perfectionist and she's always looking for validation, affirmation from external sources. And I'll say to her like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like if she doesn't get an A or if she doesn't, you know, get the winning soccer goal or something. And I'm like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then I just remind her, do you think that God loves you any less? And she's like, well, no, I'm like, because your, like your love, God's love for you is not tied to your performance, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, it's just that constant reminder, like who you are, like God loves you. He gave you those gifts. And if it's not the winning goal, like you're going to, you're going to shine somewhere else. Like there's so many other things that God has gifted you with, you know, nobody can paint like you, Gia, nobody can, you know, so just reminding her of like all the ways in which she is good and she is pure and she is loved and she is, you know, unique and wonderfully made. So. Yeah. And I think like people do struggle with that. Like how many times, I mean, probably the clients that you work with, Franny, like how many times do you hear people say like, oh, if I can just lose this 15 pounds, then I'll be better at my job or I can do this or I can do that. Like how many times have you heard that? Oh, so often. And I actually did a podcast, you know, I have my own podcast, as you mentioned. And so I actually have a whole podcast where I just did about like, it's not if when, right? It's even if, like, even if you don't lose those 15 pounds, you'll still be loved. Even if you never, you know, step foot into a kickboxing class again, like you're still loved, you know? And so it's that even if it's not the if when or if then, you know? So I think that you're so spot on by saying that. Absolutely. Okay. So then the last question I have for you, Franny, is practical tips. So I already mentioned I'm huge on practical tips. So what are some practical tips, tricks, tools that people can use to kind of address um, that, that piece that you were talking about earlier? Sure. So I think the number one thing, as I mentioned earlier, you know, community is key. And I think the challenge for me was growing up, I didn't have necessarily, I mean, we, first of all, we just like, you know, put the elephant back in the living room. We didn't even address it at all, but I didn't have somebody to come alongside of me as a trusted adult, you know, who I felt comfortable with talking with and having that. So I think that, you know, as a mama, especially, I don't know if your audience is, you know, mostly male or female, but either way, as a parent, I think it's important to make sure that you allow your your child, your children to have those other connections, whether it be a grandparent or, you know, somebody in their youth ministry or a coach or whatnot, or a therapist, even, you know, someone who is building them up and pouring into them and not to be threatened by that. Because I think that so often, you know, I'm not a mom yet. God has not blessed me there just yet, but I feel like, um, 
so often I'll hear moms say like, well, I don't want it coming from someone else. And I'm like, listen, it's the same message most likely, but the messenger can make all the difference. Like it's something that you've been saying for 22 years to your kid. And then all of a sudden they're like, you're never going to believe what Miss Franny said. And they're like, oh my gosh, are you like, you know, they're like shooting themselves. Like, are you kidding? And so oftentimes, you know, allowing just somebody else to be that messenger, even though you're their ultimate, you know, you're the minister of your home. Um, I think it's important to be able to allow those connections to happen. So I think that's really key is having community, you know, we're designed for relationships. So I think that's really important. Absolutely. I would completely agree because I'm seeing more and more of that where like parents want to be their like their child's sole influencer. Yes. And I'm just like, no, like let your children have relationships with other adults who are positive and strong role models for them. And it doesn't mean that you're less than, but I think that's what a lot of parents feel like. And a lot of like mothers where they feel that if their child has this relationship, this strong relationship with somebody else, then then they are less than like, they are less than a mother. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, like you are a good mother or a good father for allowing your child to have strong relationships with other adults, positive role models. Trusted adults, absolutely. And I, you know, it's actually funny. I have a, one of the people I work with is actually a teen, very similar to the teen you were describing earlier. And now while I'm not a therapist, I'm pretty much just like a coach. Like we just kind of have like conversations once a week, like, hey, just check it in. How are things going? What's going on? Have you been, you know, what's the pulse on school or any boys you're liking or things like that? It's just kind of like another mirror to be able to be able to be like, hmm, And because I don't have like the vested interest of a parent, I don't have the emotional connection to things. So when she tells me that she wants to get, you know, her nipples pierced, I'm like, that's interesting. What makes you want to do that? Like, rather than be like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) And inside you might be like, are you freaking kidding me? I totally am. But I'm not not the parent who has to deal with the repercussions and deal with the other 23 hours a day, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like sometimes just having that extra person and just, you know, and I worked with all girls. I was in an all girls school for nearly 20 years, you know, 20 years of my tenure, my teaching tenure. And so I know the way that girls, you know, roll and I know the way that they, they exist, you know, and kind of the, the best and the worst parts of them. And so I feel like that gives me a lot of credibility and authority to be able to help support girls too. And because, you know, I am a girl and I've walked in a lot of those different, you know, if you will, dark places, you know, with my own eating disorders and just my background. Absolutely. Any other practical tips, tools, tricks? I just think that, you know, just really also engaging with your kids, you know, making sure that you're not on their, on your phone when you're with your kids, I think is hugely important and powerful on this day and age. You know, I, I have like a rule when I'm with my nieces and nephews where I don't have my phone. And even if they want to like look at something on their phone or an iPad or something, I'm like, you know, we'll look at that later. Let's write that down. And I'll like, we'll write it on a piece of paper. But like, I really make a point to be very just genuinely connected with them and, you know, asking questions about them and favorite colors and just playing pretend. I don't feel like kids do that yet, you know, that, that often enough. And so really just making sure to make meaningful connections when you are with your kids. And I know it can't happen every hour of every day, but really, even if it's 15 minutes, I know that um, Ed Milet, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's, he's awesome. And he's a you know motivational speaker. He has this rule where he pulls into his house and there's gates in the front of his house, and he puts he does all of his emails and texts and all the things before he goes into the pulls into the gate and then he leaves his phone in his car. Yeah. And I just think that is so powerful. Here's this multimillionaire, you know, multi maybe even a billionaire, and here he just allows himself to be fully immersed with his kids. And the power of that I think is is exponential. You know, the fruit that you'll yield from that is exponential. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I can't, I can't stress enough the number of problems and issues that I see like just screen time causing in families. Mm-hmm. It's like astronomical or like you go out to like restaurants and you see like the family that just hands their child uh, a screen. And right. you're like, where, where's the engagement? Where's the interaction? And then you see, like, you, the kid looks over at, like, my table and, like, my three kids are, you know, coloring and we're playing trivia games and, like, we're playing, like, hand games and all this stuff. And there's not a screen in sight. And the right. kid is tends to be more kind of looking over at our table, like, what are those people doing? Right. And compared to, because they desire it. It's just... It's so much easier. It is easier just to hand your child a screen, but it's not nearly as beneficial. So, yeah, I really, I really appreciate that one. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, Franny. Is there anything? How can my listeners kind of contact you, follow you, all those things? Yeah. So I have a website, shinewithfranny.com, is you know where they can sign up for emails or just to kind of poke around and see you know what's on there. But I'm very much ever present on social media. I'm on Instagram at shinewithfranny. I'm on Facebook, Shine with Franny. Um, I don't know if your listeners LinkedIn. I'm Franny Foltz. And uh, I'm even on Twitter, and I'm just now entering Miss Andrea, Andrea, pardon me, into uh, TikTok. So I feel like that's going to be kind of a, a whole other beast in and of itself. But I feel like there's, a, there's something there that I want to be able to play around with a little bit. Thanks for listening to the Bright Spot, Bright Spots edition. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, give us a rating, and subscribe to our podcast. We hope that you were inspired by the story and can use the tools and share them with those you love to create a bright spot in your day.